Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. All but three of you. How are we doing this morning? Awesome. Hey, well, my name is Pastor Zach. If I haven't had an opportunity to meet you yet, I'm so glad you're here. Can we just give all of our first-time guests a huge round of applause? Hey, listen, I just want to re-emphasize this. I know you saw it in the video announcements. Not this Wednesday coming up, but next Wednesday. We have First Wednesday at First Presbyterian Church. And all of our campuses, Jennings, Eunice, and Crowley, we're all coming together for one night to worship. All of our pastors are going to be there, so you'll get to hear from everybody. It's going to be a great night. We've even got some incredible things planned for the kids. We've got a movie night and stuff like that, and we're doing it big. We're renting out a big screen for the kids and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be a great night for families. But most importantly, it's going to be just a great night for you to connect with a bunch of people and meet some people from the other campuses. It's going to be awesome. Other than that, how many of you guys ready to dive into the book of Ephesians? You guys ready? All right, so here's what I want to just um, let you guys know up front um, in starting this series. We are going to be starting a six-week series in the book of Ephesians called We Are. And um, to help you kind of go through this series, um, this past week I actually wrote a devotional for all of you guys. And so there's two ways that you can actually get this devotional. Number one, the simplest way to do it, if you are like a technology person and you are always, you always have your phone on you and stuff like that, if you go to oscconnect.com, right there on the homepage, you'll actually see that graphic and you just click on it and it'll download it to your phone and that way you can save it to your phone, you can save it in your iBooks app or if you are an Android lover, whatever, a PDF reader or something like that. It'll also post to our Facebook page. So if you lose it or whatever, you can't find it, you can go to our OSC Crowley Facebook page and it'll be there as well. Actually right now, if you go on our page, it's already up. You can download it like that. And if for some reason you still draw on rocks and you live in the Stone Age, we have a paper one for you right there at the Connect kiosk if you need one of those. But we really strongly want to encourage you to do it online, do it on your phone. And here's the reason that we do this, two reasons. One, it cuts down on cost for us. And the second reason is you're on your phone all the time anyway. (laughs) You're on your phone all the time anyway, so why not kind of change up the habit and look at something that's actually going to benefit your life. Now, the way that we've done the uh, six-week devotional is there's not a devotional for every single day. And we've done that very intentionally. If you look at it, it'll say week one, and it's going to say read Ephesians chapter one. So for the whole week, we want you to read Ephesians chapter one every single day. We've got a verse for you to memorize. We've got some questions for you to think about. We've got some prayers that you can pray over that after you read that. And the whole idea is this. When six weeks is over and we're completely done with this series, we really want the Word of God to get in you. And hopefully that this will develop a passion and a desire to really want to read the Bible. And hopefully by the time that we're done with this, you'll really have a greater understanding of what the book of Ephesians is all about. So I'm excited to do this series for really two reasons. The first reason is you're going to have a better understanding of the Bible. I don't know if you know this, but actually 19% of the American population actually reads the Bible. Okay, 19% reads it on a consistent basis. And I think a lot of times that the reason that the stat is so low is because honestly, some of you, you just open it up and you're like, what's the point? I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on. So hopefully we can bring a greater understanding. The second reason I'm really excited about it is for the next six weeks, we're going to preach about it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to learn about it. We're going to study it. We're going to memorize it. And by the time it's all done, you're really going to understanding and what this is all about. Now let me give you just big picture for the next six weeks. The book of Ephesians 
is a letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus that is reminding Christians of who they are in Christ. So there is this overall theme that runs all through six chapters, and ultimately it's identity. Who are you really? So before we dive into this, before we start preaching it, before we start reading it, before we start teaching it, let me give you just a little bit of context. Let me give you a little bit of background about the book. If you're anything like me, um, you ever see something on TV, like a, maybe a new athlete who's really good, but you don't really know who he is, and the next thing you know, you find out you're Googling him, and you're trying to find out all about this person, or you listen to a song, and you really like the song, and so you start researching and discovering about the artist, just so you can get a little history, just so you can get a little background, and it brings greater merit to when you listen to that song or when you see that person. So that's what I want to do with the book of Ephesians. Let me just give you a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul is the author. Now keep in mind, this is very key to understanding this book. Um, Ephesians was written while Paul was in a Roman prison in about 62 AD. So Paul is like shackles, chains, he's in a jail cell. So I want, to, I want you to keep this in mind. Because Ephesians is about identity, I think it brings a lot of merit knowing that Paul is in prison while he's writing this. First of all, he's in just a really difficult time of his life. And if, if, if any of us were locked up, the, the number one thing that we would want would be what? To get out, right? But there is this security that comes from Paul, even in the middle of his suffering, even in the middle of just being in the most difficult time of his life, he still has the audacity to write a letter to Ephesus about identity and who you are in Christ. So I think it brings a lot of merit from Paul knowing that, man, he's in a jail cell and he still is solid, like rock solid in his understanding of who he is and Jesus. Just a little quote to sum this up. Martin Luther King put it this way. It says, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. So meaning this, it's easy to find your identity in Christ when everything's going smooth in your life. So it's so easy to say, yeah, I'm a child of God, or God is for me, and he's with me, and I totally understand who I am. But the reason that I set it up and and wanted to give you the background and history of where Paul is at, he's in a jail cell, he's suffering, and for some of you, you're like that right now in your life. Maybe you're not locked up, but you're going through something difficult. Maybe whatever it is, maybe it's a difficult marriage, maybe it's just dealing with children, maybe it's the job that you're at. Wherever you're at, maybe your life is difficult. And the whole overall goal of this is I want you to be able to find your identity and your security in Christ even when times get rough. Because here's what I find for most people. Their circumstances usually determine their identity and their circumstances usually determine their joy. So it, it's kind of like we ride this carousel over and over. If things are going well in our life, then our relationship with, is, is good with Jesus and everything is fine. If things are going bad in our life, then we're like, God, why have you left me? And where are you at? The letter was written to the churches of Ephesus and the surrounding area. So it was not written to just one distinct church. It was written to a bunch of churches. And the purpose of the letter, as you've heard me say already, is simply to remind Christians of who they are in Christ. Now I want to set this up and make this very clear in the beginning. Paul is writing this letter to Christians. Okay? To Christians. Because I find this a lot of times. If you are a Christian today, if you are a believer, a lot of times when difficult times happen, it's like we have spiritual amnesia. (laughs) 
It's like we totally forget how God has provided for us, how God is for us, and what he's done to get us through past things. And sometimes when we're in our current struggle, we completely forget all of that. So all Paul wants to do today, and especially chapter 1, is he wants to remind us of who we are in Christ. So I want to ask you a question. Let's dive right into this. What is your name? Not like Bob, Sue, or Jim, or Zach, or anything like that. What is your name? At this current moment in time, what defines you? Is it your job? Is it your fears? Is it your anxieties? Is it the pressure of life? Is it being weak? Is it being alone? Is it not being in a relationship? Is it being divorced? Is that what defines you right now? And take a moment to really think about it. What is your name? Like, what is the very thing in your life that defines you? And the thing that I love about Ephesians, according to the book of Ephesians, it says you are chosen, you are life, you are unqualified, but God actually qualifies you. You have a family, you are loved, and ultimately with Christ on your side, you can be a fighter. If you paid attention to all of that, those are actually the next topics for our next six weeks. But I want you to to keep something in mind as we center around this idea. In chapter 1, the main theme is that God chooses us. That God has chosen you for a distinct purpose. And let me set it up like this. When I was a kid, I grew up um, in my teenage years on a dead-end street. And for literally years, my brothers and I and a bunch of neighborhood kids would have a tradition. After school... We would run inside, we'd get off the bus, we would run inside, we'd strip our clothes down, and we'd put on hockey pads. And when we put on hockey pads, which, why we did this in South Louisiana, I have no idea. We'd put on all these hockey pads, we'd put on all these gears, we'd put on our roller skates, and we lived in this cul-de-sac where they had this huge circle. We'd set up a bunch of hockey goals, and we would go to town playing roller hockey, and we did this for years. And the only reason we really played roller hockey, because hockey was about fighting. That's all it really was, about beating somebody to a bloody pulp. That's basically why we did it. But before we could play the game, there is this particular thing that had to happen that I always dreaded. You had to choose teams. Anybody remember being in middle school and they had to choose teams? Anybody remember that? And there was two things that happened. You would either be chosen first... And when you were chosen first, it was like, yes, I'm worth it. They know I've got these athletic abilities. I'm good at this. And you felt worthy because you were chosen. Now, if you were chosen last, it simply just meant nobody really wanted you on the team anyway, right? It wasn't a good feeling. And I want to communicate this idea today that at the core of who we are, we just want to know, are we worthy enough of being chosen by God? There is nothing greater than the feeling of being chosen by the God of the universe. And you experience this every single day when your wife chooses you over something else or your boss chooses to appreciate you over someone else. There is this feeling about being chosen that awakens our souls. So if you have a Bible with me, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to just go verse by verse and hopefully give you a better understanding of what this um, chapter is all about. Now let me, let me throw this out there. My main goal today is to help you understand chapter 1. And chapter 1 is all about you being chosen in Christ and the spiritual blessings and benefits that come out of that. 
Now, I also want to let you know that Paul is so excited in the first 13 verses of Ephesians. In Greek, it's actually just one big, long sentence. There's no comma. There's no period. There's no spaces. It's just like Paul is so excited to remind people of who they are in Christ. He just begins to blurt it out and doesn't breathe. It's like one just big, run-on sentence. So before we move any further, because I'm really excited about this today, because I really believe, listen, there is nothing like the word of God setting people free. Absolutely nothing. If you can fall in love with the Bible and you can fall in love with God's words, I promise you it will radically change your life. And so let's do this before I dive any deeper. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, I pray that today would be so much more, so much more than just a sermon, so much more than just another Sunday. God, I pray that your word would come alive to us today. God, I pray that as we open up the Bible, it even says in your word, God, that it never returns void. So God, regardless of how I'm able to communicate this today, I pray that your word would speak to people. God, that your word would begin to leap off of the pages and God, really just begin to show us who we are in you. God, that our identity would be rooted in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's, if you got a finger... If you have a finger, who says that? Um, uh, Take your finger and uh, point it to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Verse 4. If anything you guys remember today, everybody's going to remember that. Thank you, Zach. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And it says this. Even as he chose us, if you have a pen or highlighter or whatever, underline that word chose. Even as he chose us in him... For the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And here's what it simply means. In the first chapter of Ephesians, one word is the key to understanding the rest of this chapter. He chose you. He chose you before the foundations of the world. So here's the truth. If you really want to know who you are in Christ, you really must understand that he chose you before you had an opportunity to mess up. So here's the implications to this. He chose you before the foundations of the earth, meaning this. He knew exactly the person that you would be today, and he still chose you. He, know your, he knew your faults. He knew your insecurities. He knew everything that you would do, and he still chose you. The thing that I love about this, how Paul emphasizes in his writing, before the foundations of the earth. So this means like before God even set anything into motion, before Genesis was written, before stars were placed in the heavens, God chose you. He knew you and he loved you. Listen, before your husband ever had an opportunity to leave you or divorce you, God still chose you. Some of you need to let that sink down deep, like really deep this morning. Whatever you're fighting through right now, if you are a child of God and you are in Christ, he chose you regardless of what you're dealing with. Like this doctrine, this idea of being chosen in Christ is one of the most beautiful things in scripture because it means you can't screw it up enough for God to say, you know what, I'm out. Like before the foundation of the world, he chose you and said, I want you. 
before your identity had a chance to be fragmented from this culture and from this world, God still named you as a son or daughter of Christ. And this is huge. So what I want to do the rest of the time is because we're chosen in Christ, there's four spiritual blessings that we're going to see in the scripture because of us being chosen. And let me just read it to you in Ephesians 1, uh, 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And if you read, and it says, even as he chose us in him. Now, let me clarify one thing moving forward. Everything that I'm going to say today, everything, everything that you're going to read in Ephesians chapter 1 today, keep in mind that Paul is writing this to Christians. So meaning this, if you're chosen, it means that you are in Christ. Okay? And I think so many times people get hung up in the fact, well, how do I know if I'm chosen? I think the greater question is, are you in Christ? It's not, am I chosen or not? If you are in Christ, therefore you are chosen. Make sense? You are chosen. So here's the thing, twofold. If you don't know Jesus this morning and you're going to hear me say all this stuff, this is an invitation for you to know him and for you to see and to savor the benefits and the good news that the gospel has to offer you today. That God wants more for your life than just barely getting by. The, the God of the universe chose you for a very specific purpose. Now, if you're a believer today, if you are in Christ, then you have to understand this. Today is all about reminding you of who you are in Christ because a lot of us just forget. A lot of us, our identity comes from our mistakes. Our identity comes from our regret. It comes from our shame. It comes from our guilt. But according to Ephesians 1 verse 4, before the foundations of the earth, he chose you. Therefore, your identity can come from a God who loves you regardless of what you have done. So four spiritual blessings that come from being chosen. Number one, in him, we are blameless. In Christ, we are blameless. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. It says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to be blameless before God? Because if you're anything like me, when you read this for the first time, you're going, man, I am the one to blame for everything that I've done, right? So how does such a flawed, messed up, guilty human being stand before a perfect God of the universe and therefore stand in his presence blameless? How is this possible? Let me illustrate kind of the beauty of this idea. One day, all of us will die. It's just a known fact. There is no modern medicine that has been able to cure death. Okay? One day... All of us will die, and you will stand before the accuser, meaning the devil. And picture it like this. You're going to stand before the accuser, and this movie screen is going to be thrown up. And he's going to start to play all these things that you have done in your life. And he's going to start accusing you. And probably every accusation that he accuses you of, you deserve being accused of. And as this movie screen begins to play and you begin to put your hand over your face and go, oh my God, why in the world did I do that? And every accusation that the enemy throws, you are guilty as charged. But in that moment, something miraculous happens. Because you received Christ, 
because you are in Christ, God will hear none of the accusations, and he simply points to the accuser, and he points to his son. And therefore, he says, all the accusations you have, all the things that you're charging him against, you know what, I don't see them anymore, because all I see is the blood of my son being purchased upon that cross. Therefore, this human being stands blameless before me. The blood of the Lamb stands in the gaps of your wrongs and declares you blameless and worthy of eternity with Christ. Now, let me get this. I want you to get this. You do not stand blameless before Christ because you are just that good. You do not stand blameless before Christ because maybe you screwed some things up and for the last five to ten years you've been working as hard as you can to try to pay for or atone for your sins. You stand blameless before Christ, not because of your goodness, but because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. See, in that moment that you receive salvation, in that very moment, the blood of the Lamb, it's almost like Jesus just begins to cover you. And he says, you know what, I no longer see your sin. You stand blameless before Jesus. And let me just throw this out there. A lot of people, and I've had conversations with people like this, well, hey, listen, Pastor Zach, if I just live a good life, if I'm just a good person, then I'll be all right, right? And here's the truth. I'm just going to be very honest. Good people will be in hell. Very good, well-meaning, intentioned people. Listen, the key word here in Ephesians is in Christ. So don't get hung up on this whole idea of am I chosen, am I not, am I, don't get hung up on that. Get hung up on the idea of, do I really passionately pursue and love Jesus? Now, if you still doubt that you are blameless before Christ, let's finish the verse. Because I know some of you, as we read this, and sometimes we can read the most marvelous things in Scripture, and we can hear the most marvelous things, but still, all we can focus on is the past, right? All we can focus on is the guilt and the shame and the past mistakes that we have made. But let's keep reading in Ephesians 1, verses 5 through 6. It says this, In love he predestined us, or chose us, for adoption as sons to Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Not only do we stand blameless before God if we are in Christ, but we are also welcomed into a family, adopted as sons and daughters. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's actually, there's a law in Louisiana that says if you adopt a child, you can never disown this child. Never. Like there's, like if you have an inheritance or or, or whatever, you are legally required to never disown this child. Now, the crazy thing is you can disown your own natural birth child, but you cannot disown a child that has been adopted into your family, and and God works the same way. He chose you. He predestined you to say, hey, as I bring you in to this family, there is nothing that you could do if you are in Christ to make me ever disown you. In Christ, he has a purpose, and he's chosen you. Has it ever dawned on you that nothing dawns on Jesus? (laughs) Think about that for a second. Because I think sometimes, because of our guilt, because of our shame, 
and we commit this act that we're shameful of. How many of you, just show of hands in here, how many of you have ever done something and you really don't even know why you did it? Anybody? And you're like, why in the world did I just do this? I cannot believe I just did this. And somehow we're absolutely convinced that God, when we were doing this, maybe had his back turned and then turns around and is like, oh my God, (laughs) I can't believe you made such a mess of yourself. Like, nothing ever surprises God, ever. This is why this understanding of being chosen is so important. Because when you realize that you have been chosen and you can stand blameless before Christ, no matter what you've done, you understand, okay, yes, I've messed up. Yes, I've screwed up. I can run to Christ, turn from my sin, ask for forgiveness, and God still declares me blameless and chosen. And there's nothing that I can do that he's ever going to do to just kick me out of the family. So number one, the first spiritual blessing is we stand blameless before Christ. Number two, because we are chosen in him, we are redeemed. In him, we are redeemed. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of of his grace. So here's the deal. In Christ, we don't just get a second chance. We get redemption. We don't just get a second chance. We don't just get a do-over. We get redemption. This means we don't just get another chance. We get freedom. Like freedom from the bondage. Freedom from the sin that keeps constantly pushing us down. Redemption in Christ turns our former lives or our past lives into mere shadows. Meaning this, I think Charles Spurgeon actually explained this the best. And this is him talking about um, redemption. And this is a quote. He says, death in its substance has been removed. Okay, death in its substance has been removed. So when you became new in Christ, when you received salvation, that old life has been removed. And he continues, and only the shadow of it remains. And then he says this, nobody's afraid of a shadow, for a shadow cannot block a man's pathway for even a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite, the bite and the shadow of a man's sword can't kill anyone. Listen, when you are new in Christ, when you become a Christian, a believer, whatever you want to call it, Your past life becomes mere shadows that should not affect the way that you live anymore. And here's the truth. If you're still holding on to that guilt and shame and it's still defining you, it's not because God is placing that on you. It's because you're not willing to let go of it and you want to hold on to it. You want to hold on to it. I'm absolutely convinced that some of the guilt and shame that people hold on to, it's not because God just leaves them there and says, you know what, I don't redeem you as much as somebody else. Here's the truth. Life can be defined by one simple word that we all have to, be, that we have to embrace if we want genuine redemption. Pain. Pain. And here's the truth. In our culture, in our day and age, today, Everything is about convenience, and everything is about removing pain and suffering from your life, right? 
So here's the truth. If you want genuine redemption, those, whatever it is that you're holding on to right now, the pain that you have to endure, maybe to confess that or deal with that, and if, if it's a pain that you have to walk through for a year or a few months or a few weeks or a few days, however long it takes you, the pain is so much more worth than the guilt and the shame that you carry around for 25 years. It just is. Like, God wants to redeem you. He wants to make you new. In Christ, we have been redeemed, and your old life is no longer your identity. Your old life is no longer your identity. The mistakes that you... And listen, here's the thing. If you're in Christ, the mistakes that you made yesterday... Man, if you've worked to strive towards repentance and forgiveness, the mistakes that you've made yesterday don't define you anymore. Now, yes, the truth is sometimes we have to suffer the consequences for the mistakes that we've made, right? And maybe we have to deal with those things, but the truth is it doesn't define you. Maybe you just got to deal with it head on, and you've got to deal with some things and some baggage that you carry around because of the choices that you've made, but it's not who you are. It's not who you are. Because of the riches of his grace, you no longer walk in shame. In your old life, your past life is simply just a shadow. So here's the truth. If you're a son or daughter who is in Christ, your identity comes from your redemption, not a shadow of who you once were. Your identity comes from being redeemed. Your identity comes from being blameless. Your identity comes from being chosen by Christ. Allowing your identity to come from your past mistakes is like saying you still have a MySpace. (laughs) Nobody cares. It's irrelevant, right? I tried to sign on to my old MySpace like a few years ago. I I couldn't even remember my password. I think my username was like ChickMagnet23. (laughs) True story. Don't tweet that, please. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what is it? MySpace today is what? Remember, it was so popular. It was so huge for a few years. Every band was on there. Everybody was on there. And today, what? It's completely irrelevant. They even brought Justin Timberlake back to try to take it over, and it didn't work. <laughs> it's still dead. It's completely irrelevant. In the eyes of Christ, you're Your past, if you have been redeemed, and if you are in Christ, is rendered irrelevant. Irrelevant. And here's the truth. I'm absolutely convinced that the reason that so many people struggle with identity and finding out who they are in Christ is because they are not able to see themselves the way that God sees them. You define yourself by what you do, and I'm absolutely convinced of this. Because we have been chosen, because we stand blameless before the God of the universe, and when he sees us, he doesn't see all of our faults and all of our wrongs. He sees the covering of his son over your life. The perfection of Jesus that rests upon you. If you're in Christ, you are redeemed. Yesterday, we barbecued, and I have a charcoal grill. And I've always loved charcoal better than gas. It's a lot bigger mess. But if you're done, after you finish, and the pit goes out, all that charcoal burns up, right? And it creates like this ash. 
this fine, like this very, very fine ash. And if you ever notice it, the way that I clean out my grill, it's probably not the best way. And my neighbors probably don't like, I think a few of them are here, so I won't say this too loudly. Um, is I take my blower and I just blow the ashes out of it. <laughs> and, and what's weird is after you blow the ashes out of that, you try to look for a trace of the ashes on the ground and they're just gone. Because they're so light, they're so thin, the air just completely takes them away and you never see them. In the eyes of Christ, if you have been redeemed, that is what your past is like to Jesus. And he just throws it and then says, you know what, that doesn't define you anymore. Number three, because we have been chosen, the third spiritual blessing that we have is in him we have an inheritance. This is huge. In him we have an inheritance. Let's read it. Ephesians 1, this is 11 through 12. In him we have an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So here's what this means. If you are in Christ, you have something to look forward to. If you are in Christ, you have an inheritance. Let me frame it up this way. Many of you guys, you know the story about the children of Israel, right? So God takes Moses. He sends Moses to Egypt, and they deliver uh, the, the children of Israel, get out of Egypt, and they go into the desert, and they're on their way to the promised land. There's only one thing that happens. It kind of changes everything for them. They immediately get there. It says they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. Now, I've always asked myself this question in reading this story. First of all, why would you follow a guy around named Moses in the desert for 40 years? Second of all, if this was you, probably about by not even year one, by about month one, I'd be like, hey, um, just want to point out the obvious. Don't you think you guys should go back the way we came? <laughs> because we're in the desert. It's hot out here. We're not getting anywhere. Five years come in, they're still wandering. Ten years, they're still wandering. Now, there's two interesting things that happen in this story. One, God is still with them. Now, they're complaining, obsessively complaining, about wandering around and not reaching the promised land. And I've always wondered... Why did they stick it out? And it dawned on me this week, they stuck it out because they had a promise. Listen, I don't know what the point of life is. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know what the point of this life is if we don't have a promise to hold on to. If, if we don't have an inheritance. I'm spinning my wheels for nothing. Absolutely nothing. The reason that they endured 40 years in the desert is because they said, no, you know what? One day we're going to reach the promised land. One day we're going to reach the promised land. One day we're going to walk through and all the days in the desert will be done and we'll finally have a place to call our home. L let me put it to you this way. The reason that some of you, and, and this maybe this isn't for all of you, but this is for some of you. The reason some of you, sometimes you wake up in the morning and maybe you ask yourself this question, God, like, why me, God? Like, why am I here? What is my purpose on earth? The reason you feel out of place sometimes is because this is not your home. 
This is not your home. You were designed to be with Jesus. And the reason there is this longing deep inside of you sometimes asking that question, what now or why is, what am I doing with my life? It's because you have an inheritance to look forward to. And if you were in Christ, you understand this very fact that, man, I have a promise to hold on to. So this means whatever this life throws my way, I can endure because I have a promise. Whatever hardships, whatever difficulties, whatever mistakes I make, I can keep moving forward because I have a promise. See, the children of Israel stayed with it because they wanted a place to call their own. Being in Egypt, they were completely out of their land, right? They didn't have a place to call their home. And I'll tell you this, if you are a believer today, and hopefully if you're not, that today you will be. If you are a believer today, this is not your home. And so many times, and I get caught up into this too, guys, we treat this like this is our eternity. We treat this like this is our eternity. Our lives revolve around now. And the truth is we were, we were created to be eternal beings. And I think if we can have this eternal mindset, the, the choices and the decisions that I make today have the ability to affect my eternity. See, if we can get in that zone, if we can get in that mindset, it really does begin to shape and shift the way that we think about things, the way that we live, the choices that we make. In Christ, you have a home. In Christ, you have an inheritance. This would be the equivalent of you know, your dad, your parents, saving their whole life. And as soon as you get out of high school, they give you a piece of their inheritance. What does it do inside of you? Man, my parents have me. They've sacrificed for me. me. They've given me something. And God wants you to know that all the things that you endure, all the things that you have to fight through on this earth, One, he wants you to have joy in it. But two, he also wants you to know that he's preparing a home for you. That he has a place for you. That he has a reward for you. Number four. This is probably my favorite one. Number four. Because we are chosen in Christ, this is the last spiritual blessing that Paul talks about. In him we are sealed. In him we are sealed. So it says this in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed. Pause there. The very moment that you believed and accepted Christ, it said you were sealed, watch this, with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we require possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is by far some of the most encouraging news the gospel has to offer us. So when salvation happens, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and there is a guarantee of spending eternity with Christ. There's a guarantee. So early on in this church, we got this one question, and I know as we read this, it, it is, it's very hard um, to not think about this. 
but early on, and I even did just a whole one message on it, because early on a lot of people were asking me this question, what do you think about this whole idea of once saved, always saved, right? Anybody ever heard that phrase before, like once saved, always saved? Okay, because when you hear wordage like this, you hear chosen, you hear predestined, you hear sealed, you hear guarantee. What does that really mean? Here's what it means. If I were to answer that question today, once saved, always saved, I would answer it with yes and no. (laughs) I would not answer it with a yes, that's true, or no, that's not true. I would answer it both and, yes and no. Now let me sum it up for you. Once salvation happens, if it is genuine, first let me back up. There's two different, there's a difference between encountering Christ and experiencing Christ. How many of you ever went to a summer camp and you experienced Christ? Like the energy was loud, the music was loud, you went to a retreat and you're like, man, this is just awesome. And you felt the love of God, but two weeks later, nothing really changed. Okay, nothing really changed. You, you got passionate for a little while. And you were like, I'm going to commit going to church. And you went for a whole two weeks. And then you left and fell off the bandwagon again. I genuinely believe through the scriptures that it teaches us this. Once God saves us and we have a genuine encounter with Jesus, that it is forever. That we can persevere. Now, the reason I don't like that phrase, once saved, always saved, because people use it as a cop-out. Well, I prayed the prayer when I was six years old, so I'm saying, no, you're not saved. (laughs) Like Paul even addresses this earlier on in the gospel. Just because, you know, you have this grace given by God, it doesn't mean that you just get to abuse it and live however you want. So people that are genuine Christians want to do everything that they can to flee and run away from sin. So you can't use this as a cop-out or an excuse. I had prayed when I was eight years old, Pastor Zach, I'm good. No, you're not. Because Christians look different than the rest of the world. I've used this example before, but let's say I show up here 10 minutes late to preach a message. And I come running down the aisles and I'm sweating and I'm saying, man, I'm sorry, I'm 10 minutes late. My car broke down, had a flat tire, I jump out, I'm changing the tire. And as I'm changing the tire, I just get ran over by a Mack truck. I get back up, put the wheel back on my tire, and I drive to church, and I'm here now. Now, if I told you that story, would any of you in here believe me? No. Why wouldn't you believe me? First of all, if I got ran over by a Mack truck, and I'm up here on stage preaching, you would know that I just got ran over by a Mack truck, right? My body would look a whole lot different than it previously did. It wouldn't be as chiseled. I would look a whole lot different, right? So I feel like I'm on pretty safe ground to say this. When you come on to a head-on collision with Jesus, your life looks different. And it's recognizable. And I find what we're so good at, we're so good at using cop-outs. Brother, I prayed the prayer when I was six years old. Now I can just live however I want. How's that working for you? It's probably a pretty miserable life, isn't it? The truth is the mark of a genuine, true Christian is this. You flee and run as fast as you can from sin. And when you fall into it, you get back up and you pursue repentance and community and confession. That's the mark of a genuine, true 
Christian. So in him we are sealed. In that moment of salvation, if you have genuinely encountered Jesus, here's what God says to you today. I'm with you to the very end. To the very end, I'm with you to persevere. John 6, 37 even explains this further. It says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. So whoever who submits their life, their wills, and their wants, I will never throw you out. And if you've been chosen, if you are in Christ, it's sealed, done, finished. He's going he's gonna to be with you to the very end. Now here's the tricky part about all of this. Assurance, a lot of times, is based on how we feel when we get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> or assurance is usually based on our feelings. And I'm not here to pick at anybody, but this is why sometimes, you know, when we close service down and we say, hey, let's, if you don't know Jesus today, would you just simply lift your hand up and we want to pray for you. And it's why some of us in here, we raise our hand for the 10th time. Because we're just not sure, Right? We're not sure, like, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't really know if I'm serving Jesus. And the reason that we don't know this, the reason that you feel this way is because you're basing your salvation on how you feel. Well, this past week, it wasn't a good week, so maybe this week I'm not saved. And so we base our assurance on how well we performed that week. Your assurance is based on a promise. Your assurance is based on what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago. That's your assurance. It's not based on your feelings. Husbands, wives, you know this to be true. You ever get out of bed in the morning and say, you know what? God, I don't want to do this whole marriage thing anymore. (laughs) And it's it's not like you're saying, I want to leave them forever. Although some of you, maybe that is what you're saying. But you just, you don't feel like it. You're like, I'm done. Talk again. We got to talk again. Like, what else do you want to talk about? What else do you want to blast me for? And this isn't, I'm just throwing out examples. Claire doesn't do this. And so we can wake up in the morning and say, man, I'm done. I'm finished. I don't feel like it anymore. Listen, we feel those feelings. But then what do we have to do? We have to remind ourselves of the promise that we made before Jesus. And until death do us part. It's on that. And so a lot of times when you wake up in the morning and you don't feel saved. <laughs> you ever hear that phrase? You hear it in South Louisiana. I'm about to lose my religion. <laughs> you can't lose it if it's genuine. You can't. First of all, I don't, I don't know how you can lose it when you see terms all throughout Ephesians chapter 1. You're blameless. You're redeemed, you have an inheritance, you're sealed. The Holy Spirit promises to stick with you to the very end. So here's the question. Do you want to know if you've received salvation? Do you want to know if you've been chosen? Here's how you know. The fruit of being forgiven of sin is the desire to flee sin. The fruit of being chosen by God is the desire to run away from sin. So yet again, I said this in the very beginning, don't get so caught up of going, am I chosen, am I not? Listen, this is not a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness cult where only 140,000 people go to, to heaven, okay? That's not what I'm saying. 
I mean, at John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world that anyone, anyone, so I'm not trying to narrow it down by saying, you know, there are certain people that are chosen and certain people are not. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is when you are in Christ, when salvation happens, he seals it and he, desire, he wants to be with you until the very end. So in Christ, we are chosen, we are blameless, we are redeemed, we have an inheritance, and we're sealed forever. Forever. And in a nutshell, that's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And the rest of the chapter is Paul, he prays a prayer of thanksgiving and thanks for all the stuff that he just mentions. And I, and I want you, I want to close with this. Wherever you're at today, whatever you're being defined by, I want you to know that God considers you, if you are in Christ, you're blameless. You're redeemed. He's preparing a place for you. And he seals you forever. So I don't know where you're at in life right now. I don't know what it looks like for you. Everybody's got their ups and everybody's got their downs. Everybody's got the things that they struggle with. But I want you to know that your identity comes from being chosen by Christ. Not the mistakes that you've made. Not the person that you wish that you could be. There's a phrase that we say here all the time. I'm going to say it as long as I'm the pastor here. God is not in love with some future version of you. He's in love with the, you right now. You right now. Because if this idea, as Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, before the foundations of the earth, he chose you, it means that he loves you right now in this very moment. In this very moment.